Well, good morning again. It's, uh, this is a little shocking, I'm sure, for you guys. There's not someone up on the screen. It's, it's, I'm here in real life, and it's good to, good to be with you. I was asking Don before the service, when was the last time you had someone actually with like flesh and blood before you? And it's like, man, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. So, so I'm really excited to be with you here today. I'm also excited. It's the Advent season, as I mentioned in the announcements already. How many of you guys do an Advent calendar with your family or you did one growing up? How many of you guys did? Okay, so, so a number of you. I did one as well, and I remember I was always so excited about this Advent calendar, right? We would, we would put like the donkeys each day. You put something else, right? The donkeys and then the angels. And then on Christmas Eve, we had the star. And I always remembered I love the star because what does that mean? That means that I get presents the next day, right? That's what I was really excited about. And then, oh yeah, and then on Christmas, I had, I, we put Jesus in there too. But I, I, I have to confess, I forgot about that oftentimes as I would just go and unwrap all the presents and whatnot. But it is, it's such a really joyful and wonderful time as we are getting ready for Christmas. And Advent, it means coming. It comes from this Latin word that means coming. And in many ways, Advent is, is like Lent is for, Chris, or for Easter, right? Lent is this preparing of your hearts for Easter. And Advent is, is supposed to serve as the same way for Christmas. But well, like Lent, we, we give up things, right? We give up sweets, we give up chocolate, we give up soda, whatever it is, we give things up. But for, for Advent, we don't give those types of things up, right? Do we, what do we give up for Advent? I think we give up sleep sometimes, we give up our sanity sometimes, we give up all, all, all these other things. Our alone time we give up for Advent. We just give up things that are different than Lent. And I can tell you, I've talked to so many folks in, in, uh, in just the past week, and, and they, there's so much anxiety about this season, right? It's supposed to be this joyful and wonderful time, but yet the folks that I come across, they're filled with these, this anxiety about the season. I know you introverts in here know what I'm talking about particularly, because you guys are getting invited to a million parties, and you got to put on your game face, and you got to talk to people, and you got to go out, and you got to be with people, and then the extroverts, it's tough for you too, because you're running out of money because you're going to all these parties with white elephant gifts, and then you, you're, you're broke for, for Christmas, right? And, and I just think before we know it, you know, that it's Christmas Day or Christmas Eve whenever you open up your gifts and the wrapping is all, all, all over the place, except for those folks that, like, that don't like that. They kind of keep the wrapping paper. I never understand you guys. Like, that's half the fun of the Christmas, right? Just ripping apart these, these, uh, these gifts. But anyway, so these, these gifts are unwrapped, right? And the, the, the pot roast is burnt, and, the, and if you have college kids, before you know it, they're back to the college, and it's like, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas at one and all, right? And so for me, when I come to, to church, I want to be reminded that that's not the story. I want to be reminded that even though there's all this rush of things, there's the anxiety of stuff, there's so much going on, I come to church to be reminded that this story that I'm a part of is not simply about me, but rather it is about the creator of the world. There's this story, this huge, big story that starts with creation and it continues with incarnation and resurrection and redemption. And this is the story that we get to participate in because God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That is why I come to church. And so for this Advent season, we're going to be kind of reminding ourselves of this truth. And each, each week, there are going to be different live preachers. That's why I'm here today. It's kind of cool. Actually, at all the 930 services today, there's a different live preacher. And so Ted and Mike and Jeff and myself, 
we're going to be going around to each of the services to, to talk about one of the attributes for the Advent season. And so today I'm talking about love, Ted is talking about joy, Mike is talking about hope, and Jeff is talking about peace. And Jeff better be in a peaceful attitude because he is in Mexico right now on vacation. So, so he's going to come back all fired up to preach to everyone. And so what does this mean? This, this also means that you can't you have to come to this service every single week because if you show up to the 8.30 service next week, it's going to be a problem because you're going to hear this exact message that I'm giving today and you're going to fall asleep, I'm going to see you, and I'm going to be totally thrown off. So don't ruin the service for, for me or for anyone else. Stick to this service if, if you can and uh, you, you're going to have some deja vu, just, just a tad. Um, but our hope in all this is that we will be reminded of the hope and the joy that comes from surrendering our stubborn hearts to the Lord to surrender our stubborn hearts to the Lord and to the love of God, which results in this peace that passes understanding. And so we have hope, we have joy, we have peace, and we have love. Let me just pray real quick before we jump in this morning. God, I just thank you so much that you love us. And God, thank you so much for the work that you've done in my heart and the work that you're doing in the folks here heart as well. And so God, would you just be with us here for the next 15, 20 minutes, and, and would you just speak in a way that, that I can't this morning? Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so the scripture today is from 1 John 4, 19, and it's a pretty simple one. It just says, we love because he first loved us. So love, that is what we're going to talk about here. What is love? What is love? I think love is one of the most overused and underappreciated words we have in the English language today. I say it all the time. I'm sure you do. We love this. We love that. We love everything. And, and it kind of loses a little bit of its meaning. And we also say that God is love. You've probably heard that one before. You've probably said it yourself. God is love. And I find that oftentimes when I hear folks talking about God as love, folks you know, outside of the church and inside the church, no matter where you're at, sometimes we take that phrase and we kind of just shove our definition onto what that means. We shove our definition of love into whatever we want love to be in that moment. It's kind of like growing up, I would play with these, this Play-Doh, right? And there's different little filters you could put in to shove the Play-Doh through and you get triangles or you get circles or you get spaghetti, or whatever, whatever you want to do. Whatever, however you want to change that definition of the Play-Doh, it's up to you. You just kind of take it in and you shove it through. And I think we kind of do that a little bit with love a little bit. And so a Christian's view view of love, a Christ follower view of love is very different than a Plato view of love. And you can tweet that. That's a really great tweet. It'll get a lot of likes on that one. Um, so I, I was actually talking to someone this past week at, 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 the, uh, at the hospital where I work, and, and they were saying that they go to this church and they were having this build your own theology workshop. I was like, oh, here we go, right? Build your own theology. It's like, hey, I want to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I want to take a little bit of these sayings, a little bit of his sayings and her sayings, and we're just going to throw them all together, and we're going to get whatever theology you want. It's kind of like Burger King, right? Have it your way. It's the fast food theology. However you want to define your own theology is, is best for all, whatever floats your boat, right? Could you imagine God saying that to the Israelites in the Old Testament? Hey, take a little bit of the Egyptian you know, religion, take a little bit of Babylon, the Babylonians, take a little bit the Assyrians, just whatever you want, just go ahead. That's not the kind of God that I know. It's not the kind of God that I trust in. And so I was trying to come up with this, this definition for love, this kind of cute little definition of love. And then I thought, you know what? It's really amazing. The Bible is really cool. It kind of defines things for us. So all I got to do is look at the Bible and see, all right, what is, what is love? And we know 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to be talking about it in a few months going through our, our series in 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. Love doesn't boast. Love, love doesn't delight in what's evil, but rather, what does it do? It rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres, always hopes. Love never fails. That is the kind of love that I know of. That's the kind of God that I know. I know a God who is not proud. I know a God who is not self-seeking. I know a God who delights in the truth. And I think it is a love, too, that can exist no matter what our circumstances are. No matter what our circumstances are. Because, because there's no place, there is no place that God is not willing to go on our behalf. Because, folks, we know he went to hell. He went through death for us. He became separated from the most trusting, the most beautiful, the most perfect relationship that has ever been, the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was separated from that because he loves us and because he wants us to have a life of abundance. And that life, as we know, is found in the relationship that we get to have with Jesus. So this love that we have from the Lord, it's, it's a love that, that can exist no matter what the circumstances are. And I know that a lot of folks question this. A lot of folks say, how can God be this loving God when fill in the blank? Right? I'm sure you might have said it yourself. You've heard it before. How can God be loving when fill in whatever circumstance you're going through at that moment? And so when I hear those things, you know, I, I genuinely feel sad. I feel this sadness because I know that I've experienced love in some of the most desperate and some of the most tough circumstances. And as the chaplain out at a hospital, I see that love every single week in some of the worst circumstances that we could imagine, right? I saw the love this past week as this woman is sitting beside her dying husband. He's 50 years old and his body is being wrecked by cancer, and yet she's sitting by his bedside and in tears and saying, I don't get how this is happening, but yet I still am trusting in the Lord. I'm angry at him, but yet I'm still trusting. That's the kind of God that can break into those rooms. I also see the love of God as I'm talking to parents who are who want their kids to grow up and to know who Jesus is desperately and then they see them kind of wandering off on this road and they're saying, "I God, I don't get this. How is this happening?" But again, they trust in that love of God and they said, "I'm going to surrender this and it's going to be in your hands." I see that kind of love cuz I see that love break into addictions. I see that love break into depression. I see that love in the community as you guys gather around folks that are grieving that have lost folks that are, that are both old and folks that are young. I see that love in this community. I see the love of God in situations that are challenging. I see the love of God in the midst of hardship because that is what our God does. He breaks into this world that he created 2,000 years ago, a world that is in need of him, but yet sometimes we don't sense that need. Sometimes we don't even know that need, but yet he still comes towards us. We don't have to go towards him. He came towards us because there's no way for us to possibly, possibly grasp this incomprehensible love. And so he's willing to show that love by going to the cross. And what started on Christmas ends in e on Easter with the resurrection. And so your sin, my sin, all of our sins, all of our sins put him there, put him on the cross. But yet he conquered it. He conquered death. So I don't know about you, but that's the kind of love that, that I want. 
That's the kind of love that I want to embrace. That's the kind of love that I think this world could use a little bit more of us. Of. So what is possibly stopping us from embracing this love? What's possibly stopping our neighbors from embracing this love? C.S. Lewis has this awesome quote, and, and I'm just I'm going to read through it. And he talks about love, and he talks about vulnerability, and he talks about fear. And so the, the short answer to what's so hard about embracing this love is that love costs something. And, and oftentimes, like for Christ, it cost him everything. And so C.S. Lewis writes, he says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be broken. If you want to be sure to keep it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with, with hobbies and a little luxuries. Avoid all entanglement. Lock it up in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, Im- impenetrable, irredeemable. And so the alternate to tragedy is damnation, the only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the aspects of love is hell. I love that quote because it so beautifully puts out what our struggle with love is because love costs us something. And when we lose something, it means that we are going to be afraid. It means when, when you're grieving something or when you've, you're, you know that you're going to lose something, there's risk involved and that comes with love. That comes with love. And so oftentimes in scripture, we see this combination of love and fear that are kind of like parallel tracks going alongside of one another fear and love and we see c.s lewis do it there do it right that there in the quote and we also see it in scripture as well to love is to be is to be vulnerable to be willing to be broken to be willing to say you know what i'm not right and fear tells us that we ought to be unbreakable fear and love working alongside of one another. And my guess is we've all experienced that in our own lives as well. And so I want to take a look at fear and love in Scripture, particularly at the Christmas story. And I want to use that lens of fear and love to look at two different characters in the Christmas story. And, And it's coming from Matthew. And, and in Matthew, we're going to focus on these two characters. One, the first is Joseph, and the second is King Herod. And what we're going to see is that the, both of these folks were, were presented with situations that were, that were filled with fear. They were filled with things that could really go wrong. But yet, these two guys had very different responses to God's initiation of love. And so in the end, I'm, I want us to compare how are we doing with God's initiation of love towards us. Are we responding more like Joseph or are we responding more like King Herod? And my guess is you probably know which one is better. But um, spoiler alert, it's not King Herod. Don't, don't do that. Uh, don't do that. So Joseph. Joseph is our first guy that we're going to look at. And, and we know the story, right? Joseph was, was going to be wed to Mary. And they were, they were traveling to, to kind of say that, 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 to go for the, the sense that, that the Roman Empire was requiring of them. And, and as they were going, um, you know, Mary then was about to have a kid. And so Joseph is looking at the situation and he's saying, man, like, you're having a kid, but like, we didn't, you know, do that. And so how, is there a kid there? You know, like, is, is Mary, are you, is there another guy in this? And is my, could you imagine Joseph? His mind is just spinning, thinking about all the different things that could possibly be going on with this. And so he was a just man, as scripture tells us, and, and so he said, you know what, 
I, I think I'm just going to have to divorce her. I think that's the avenue that I'm going to have to go down. Because in that time, an engagement was legally binding. The only way to get out of an engagement was through divorce or through death. And Joseph was probably thinking, I don't really want to kill Mary. That's probably not a good you know, avenue to go down. So let me go down this other avenue because it'll be you know, quiet. I'll do it quietly and I'll respect her. And so right at that moment, the angel comes down. To, he, he made up his mind. Joseph made up his mind. And right then, this angel of the Lord comes down. And, and I'm in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 1 right there. And it's verse 20. And so this angel comes down and he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken about in the prophets. And so faced with this fear of something that was potentially very embarrassing for him, a, a time that I imagine would be very confusing, this, the angel comes and, he, and, and the angel pulls Joseph's heart and his mind away from his most immediate circumstances and shows Joseph that he is part of this much bigger, this much grander story. In fact, it's the biggest story, it's the best story of all time. It's God's rescue plan for the world. And so the angel takes his story and shows him how big this story is that he gets to be a part of. And in the counseling world, if you're a counselor out there, if you've seen one, you know in the counseling world, this is called reframing. This is what the Lord does with Joseph. He takes Joseph's frame, which is about this big and focused on all those circumstances that we can imagine he would be thinking and feeling. And he takes that frame and he says, you know what, we're going to take that frame and we're going to enlarge that frame to include the Savior of the world in that picture frame. And you know what? This is what happens with our life, too. We're no different than Joseph. You know, if your life has been transformed by the grace of the Lord, you know that one, at one point your frame was about this big and you were thinking about things that were just in this frame. And then all of a sudden, Christ entered himself into that picture and your frame included the Savior of the world. That's exactly what happens with us at, at, as well. So once Joseph's life was about Joseph, once your life was about you, but now... Our life is about the Savior of the world. Love enlarges our frame and fear shrinks it. Love pushes us to think outside of ourselves while fear takes us and puts us further and further inward. And so this is what we see Joseph's response. He responds in obedience to the love at, even though there was fear, a lot of fear for himself. So now let's transition to, to, um, to King Herod. The Matthew transitions, the first part there is, is, is right from Joseph's perspective. And then we transition to King Herod's perspective. And, and really there are these two foils that are, that, are, that are meant to be contrasted against one another. King Herod. He was the, the king over the, the land that's kind of like modern day Israel right now. And it's a little bit different but very similar. And he wasn't necessarily king, but rather governor, because as I mentioned earlier, the Romans were really the ones who owned all of it. But they had this policy where they would try and get a local person to rule the land because they thought that the ruling would be going a little bit more smoothly. And so King Herod is really concerned about power. 
right? He's not, he doesn't have full authority over this area because the Romans do. And so he's kind of pulled in these two separate directions. He needs to appease the, the Romans and send taxes out to the Romans and kind of stuff their banks. And at the same time, he's got to be worried about an uprising of the people. And so that's a really kind way to put King Herod, if I'm honest, right? So he's kind of like a survivor, right? He's, do, he's willing to do whatever it takes to maintain his power. And so these wise men come to him one day, as I'm sure you've read in the Christmas story, and they say, hey, we heard that the king of the Jews is here. Where is he? And so if you imagine you, be, you being King Herod, you say, king of the Jews? That's me. What do you mean that the king of the Jews is born today? What, what are you talking about? And so King Herod gathers all the religious folks of the day, the scribes, and he says, and he says what's the deal with this? And so I'm going to pick up Matthew 2, 3. We see his response. And, and it says... Um, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, as I just mentioned. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. He's really, really worried about this. He has a lot of fear about, about this. Can you imagine the, just the lunacy of this? Here is this guy who has the, the, the backing of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in all the world at that time. And he has the religious leaders in his back pocket because he's asking them about these things. He has all the military, all the religious power in the area, but yet he is troubled at the thought of a little baby boy being born. That is just crazy. And, and on top of that, on top of that, it's being born to a couple law-abiding citizens, teenagers no less, who are going on their way to get counted for this census. And they, they, a little baby boy being born in a little, a little stable with animals surrounding him. There's no room for him in the inn. This is the kind of this is the king that he is scared of, this little baby boy. And you know, I think that King Herod knew in his head and his heart that this guy, this little baby boy, was the real deal. I believe that he knew based on what the scribes had said and what was going on all around that he knew that this guy was actually going to challenge his authority. It was going to look very different than what he imagined. You know, they thought it was going to be this king coming in on a white horse and conquering everything. But yet, but yet it's this little baby boy in, G in Jesus who says, you know what, lay down your life. That's how you get power. You give of yourself. You give your life and surrender it over to me. You don't get power through the, through the normal ways. Rather, you give it through surrendering. And so King Herod says this, and he says, you know what? I, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. And it was so, he was so crazy about this that it drove him to kill all the two-year-olds and younger in that land because he was so terrified of what this King Jesus was going to do. And so while, while Joseph responds in a way that, that, that says, you know what, I'm going to obey this. I'm going to respond to God's love, his initiation, and I'm going to obey King Herod, he goes the opposite direction. He holds on to this power. He holds on to it, and he says, I am never going to surrender. When we are faced with fear, when we are faced with the initiation of God's love, it costs us something. It costs us something. Joseph, it cost him potentially his reputation, didn't it? Right? How, what are you going to say to people? Oh, this, the Holy Spirit came. It's not me. It's not anybody else. Can you imagine that? Right? His reputation was at stake. And for King Herod, his power was at stake. Right? When God's love confronts us, 
there is something that is at stake because we have to surrender. We have to be vulnerable and we have to give over our controls. For both of these guys, fear created opportunities for them to trust God. And I think that's the, the best way to look at fear. Fear creates opportunities for us to trust God. Because in a situation where, where there's something that is fearful, we have the option of saying, you know what, we're going to hold on to this. We're going to just we put, our, put our feet to the ground and we're going to lace up our bootstraps and we're going to go for it. Or we can respond and we can surrender to the Lord. Do we trust ourselves and our own power? Or do we trust the love of God whose perfect love in Christ casts out any fear? And so his love, it so envelops us. It so much is a part of our life that there's no more room for fear because we know that perfect love casts out fear. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that your love has come towards us. God, we know that we can't earn it. We know that it is all about you. We know that it's not about ourselves. And so, God, may we respond to your initiation, your love towards us, like Joseph did, where we humbly submit to you. We know we don't earn it. We know that it's been given freely. And so then, in response to that, we ought to love others. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you that you love us in an abiding way. Amen.